breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Deere to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's town. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. Hey, guess what? It's our two-year anniversary episode today, and we're bringing back some of the guests who help us get this thing off the ground on day one. This week, you'll hear from American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall, who will talk about the year ahead in agriculture and the 2021 Virtual Farm Bureau Convention. We'll also talk 2021 with ag economist David Widmar and Farmer's Edge CEO Wade Barnes. Our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax, is back with another installment of Bushels and Scents. And we welcome back to the program the first musical guest we had on the show, Wade Jennings, the grandson of country music icon Waylon Jennings. You won't want to miss a moment of this special episode. Let's go! Well, first up this week on the program, we welcome back the guy who helped us launch this show on January 3rd, 2019, American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval. Two years later, we're still here, and uh, President Duval's uh, steady leadership has helped his organization through a tumultuous 2020. So we wanted to bring him back to talk about some of the key issues in agriculture and on Farm Bureau's plate as we usher in 2021. President Duval, welcome back to Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Well, I think we'd be be laboring matters here if we started out talking about just how unusual and challenging 2020 was, just because it's pretty much a given. But what was learned in 2020 really is going to shape how Farm Bureau looks at 2021, won't it? That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, we're still in the midst of this pandemic, so we're still evaluating it. But, uh, you know, we've already... Uh, seen the the devastating uh, blows it has delivered to us, whether it be through markets or whether it be through uh, just processing our commodities and being able to get it to uh, the consumer and the consumer having the ability to buy it. So, I mean, it's been very challenging. Well, it was a huge wake-up call, and we had talked about this when we talked earlier this year, just for consumers, for you know, everybody along the supply chain in the industry, you know, just the fragility of it and also the resilience of everybody involved, because even though there were some hiccups early on, you know, everything bounced back and uh, it appears that going forward it's going to be stronger than ever. I think so. And, you know, and as we go forward and we do evaluate what we've experienced, we'll I'm, I'm sure we'll have some uh, fixes to put into the, the food chain system to make sure that if and if we ever get hit by something like this, we'll be able to handle it a little bit better. You know, you know, my first first uh, uh, thing that we learn is, you know, how how important how important it is for us to be prepared to take care of our employees on the farm and through the processing chain all the way to the grocery store, shelf stocking uh, people. So uh, taking care of people's got to be on the front of our mind. Yeah. And that goes for, uh, you know, making sure they have the proper PPE, the proper distancing out in the fields, the whole nine yards. That's exactly right. And, you know, uh, we've never had to really think about that in the past, but we do have to do that on a daily basis now. 
Well, I know, uh, you know, some of the uh, immigration challenges and, 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 you know, labor challenges that were there early on. What, where do those stand now and, and what more needs to be done to make sure that especially large scale producers are going to have the workforce they need to get crop out of the field? Well, as you know, that was one of the first challenges we met up with was with, you know, early spring and everybody was getting ready for their uh, foreign workers to come in. A lot of those people come to the same place every year and uh, there's a process they have to go through. And all of a sudden, they, the embassies had closed, closing the counseling, they closing down, closing down. And, and it was going to interrupt it. And we were able to work with this administration to make sure we smoothed out those bumps. And and we, in, in uh, most cases, we uh, were successful in getting all the workers that were expected to come here. So uh, now we're focusing on 2021 and new administration to see what opportunities there are there for us to, um, to bring a, a solution to our farm labor problems, which is the largest uh, challenge that American agriculture faces is labor. Mm-hmm. Well, and another issue that COVID has brought about, it, it doesn't just affect farmers and ranchers, but everybody out in, in rural America, you know, the strengths of hospitals, still the, the lack of viable broadband internet in some places, that, that there's still a lot that needs to be done to make rural America whole and, and bring them up to speed with a lot of the urban areas in the country. Well, that's exactly right. It's not a, it's not a, a luxury anymore. It's a necessity. Uh, and the pandemic has highlighted the uh, the lack of coverage uh, of uh, broadband to rural America. Our children having to go sit in parking lots to do their homework, you know, not having health care uh, over over the broadband with broadband uh, being so limited, uh, and of course our technology that we continue to receive out on the farm. A lot of times we can't use it because of the lack of, of broadband. So. It is just so crucial that we be able to uh, build, uh, finish out the, the broadband grid across America, and hopefully uh, that'll be a big part of the infrastructure uh, movement that this new administration is talking about. I know a lot has been made of the 43% year-over-year increase in, in net farm income, but you know a lot of that has been the result of CFAP or MFP, and the truth is cash receipts you know, from the sales of crops and livestock are projected to be the lowest in more than 10 years. And we saw a continued uptick in farm bankruptcies and increasingly high debt to asset ratios and a decline in working capital. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of optimism about things moving forward in the industry, but it seems like it, it's still a little early to be painting any kind of rosy picture for where we're at right now. Well, you really can't because it's two things that, uh, um, Two things that really contributed to the second highest income on record for agriculture, and that, that was government payments. Uh, thank God this administration and Congress, both sides of the aisle, uh, stood behind the farmers, whether it be through COVID, Congress was there and the president was there. Uh, through the trade war, the president delivered and the secretary of Purdue delivered the mitigation package. Uh, and that was, that was a huge percent of our income. Uh, the second thing is trade. Uh, the China ch- trade agreement has yielded some stronger prices here in the last four or five months of this year uh, and has been uh, tremendous to the farm income for this year. Uh, and but, so if you look at both of those things going into 2021, you know, what kind of uh, what is this administration going to do, this new administration? Are they going to stand behind the farmer and make sure that the food system stays strong and farmers can continue to stay on the farm 
and will what will we do with the phase one agreement in China? Can we continue to work on that uh, trade agreement, push it forward, uh, get $40 billion worth of sale each year in the next two years? Uh, that's what, what was expected in that agreement. Uh, you know, we, you just don't know what those what's going to happen around those areas. And we're hoping for the best, and we're going to be here uh, trying to develop those relationships with this administration so that we can be at the table and give them information from the farm of what's going on and what's, what would be good for us. And, and true, in some situations, in some issues, what would be bad for us. Yeah. Well, if everything holds up here and, and all indications uh, point, point to uh, uh, former Secretary Vilsack uh, reprising that role, uh, you guys have history. You, you, you're, uh, he's a known commodity and he spent the, uh, the, the last few years, uh, you know, working to promote the dairy industry abroad. So he has a good sense of what's going on on an international basis. Uh, do, do you feel good about that pick and what, what that could lead to? Secretary Vilsack is, is the perfect pick for this administration. Uh, we do have history with him. He has a great knowledge of USDA and a great knowledge of, uh, uh, of uh, American agriculture. And now after working with the uh, export, dairy export group, he has a, a better knowledge of what, how much trade means to agriculture. So, and I've heard him say that since then, that it has gave him a new appreciation to what trade really brings to the table for us. So I think he's the perfect pick. Uh, he has a, uh, a big picture look at uh, trying to help all sizes of farms, large and small. Uh, and, you know, he also uh, uh, understands the science behind climate. And, you know, we want to make sure that our policies that we talk about with climate, uh, one, recognizes what we've done for decades on the farm. And Secretary Vilsack understands how far farmers have come with that. And two, as we move forward, they have to be science-based and market-based uh, in those decisions. And ultimately, and, and, and the last thing you would point out in that area, we wanna make sure that all those programs are voluntary. Yeah. Uh, our farmers tend to buy into voluntary programs a lot better and they're more, a lot more successful than if it's uh, uh, regulated on. Now, uh, in addition to the administration, three of the top four uh, uh, positions in agriculture leadership within Congress are, are going to be changing hands. What kind of work is uh, going to have to be done on, on behalf of Farm Bureau to, to keep the concerns of farmers and ranchers front and center as we see this leadership change? Well, these leadership changes in, in the House, well, they've already made those choices uh, or nominated the ones to get those places. Um, and Mr. Scott, Congressman Scott, comes from my state, uh, spent a couple of decades on the farm, on the, on the uh, Agriculture Committee, uh, was uh, had some uh, family connections to agriculture as he grew up. Uh, so I think uh, Congressman Scott will make a great chairman. He's a personal friend of mine, a good Christian man that I admire, and I also like the way he wants to reach across the aisle, work with other people. We've worked with him on several things across uh, with other uh, congressmen across the aisle, and, and he was successful in doing that. And then when you talk about the, the minority leader, uh, G.T. Hay, uh, Thompson, G.T. Thompson, a uh, good friend of mine from Pennsylvania, come from a, a great uh, agricultural area, has great knowledge there. I think those two leaders will work together to try to find what's best for rural America and what's best for agriculture. You know, 
it's kind of funny in a Congress where a lot of times they never work together and it seems to be that they never work together. I think they do a lot of more working together than people give them credit for. Yeah. But uh, where it looks like they're not working together when it comes to agriculture, normally at the end of the day, they're going to find some common ground to be able to do what's right for farmers and ranchers in rural America. And I think these two leaders will deliver that again. So I know another big issue that keeps rising to the forefront is that of sustainability and, and climate. And you can add to that the Clean Water Act, which could become an issue again, I guess, uh, a little more than a year after the Trump administration repealed the 2015 Clean Water Rule. I know it's way too early to speculate, but are, are farmers out there bracing for a renewed fight on this? Well, you know, we're going we're gonna to go into it hoping that um, if they do make any changes in it, that they are minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we played a major role in and trying to uh, rewrite that rule and and, uh, and and have been asked a lot of questions during the time of writing a new one. You know, I'd say that uh, they've done a really good job. It gave us clear rules uh, so that we can provide the clean water and, and it made it a lot simpler. Uh, the, the previous rule was just too complicated. Farmers had to hire consultants and attorneys. Uh, makes it very difficult to implement and and so we need something that's simple because at the end of the day, what we want to do is protect our water uh, on our farms for the American people and for ourselves, our families. So innovation is another key topic on the minds of the Farm Bureau members. Uh, you're constantly pushing for ag innovation, especially in areas such as biotechnology and gene editing. Well, that's exactly right. You know, when you talk about infrastructure, we all think roads, bridges, uh, and all the, in the, in that area, but I think uh, research and development uh, dollars are a part of that infrastructure process that you have to think about. Broadband and and, re- and research is something that we we don't talk enough about when we talk about infrastructure, rebuilding our infrastructure. Uh, we're being outspent by the rest of the world on research, and agriculture has always kept its uh, position as a leader in the world because of the innovation and research dollars that's being spent in our country. So we need to make sure that our, our, our policy makers understand that we're falling behind in that area and we need to uh, uh, boost that effort and put some more mon- dollars in there so that we can stay on the cutting edge and we can lead the rest of the world because they're dependent on us. Well, one last issue I want to touch on is that of mental health and stress on the farm. I know Farm Bureau has studied this extensively and put resources out there to help farmers and ranchers identify and cope with these situations. And this is something that you will continue to passionately advocate for because it's just such an important issue. It, it is. And, you know, uh, we've had just about everything that could be thrown at us over the last six or seven years between commodity prices, natural disasters. I mean, every kind of natural disaster you can think of trade war now pandemic and and it has stressed our farmers and ranchers to the guilt and of course we want to be able to be there for them uh, just like farmers always want to be there for the neighbor we're trying to create uh, an uh, environment where people can find resources and be able to help their family members and their friends before something tragic happens you know, it, it, it doesn't have anything to do exactly directly to production agriculture. But if our farmers aren't healthy, our farms aren't healthy. Yeah. And we got to make sure that they're, they are healthy and we get rid of the stigma that goes uh, that goes along with a, a mental a farm stress and mental stress uh, and, and let people feel good about coming out and talk about the problems. 
Uh, I've experienced that myself this year with loss of my wife and, and all the difficulties we've seen here on my farm. And we want to make sure that we, we try to help people as much as we can. If we just save one life, uh, it'll be worth all the effort we put into it. We've had some great partners through Farm Credit and uh, National Farmers Union, and we appreciate them working with us to make sure that we do the right thing to take care of our friends and neighbors in agriculture. Well, for anyone who's curious and wants to get up to speed on all the issues on the radar of American Farm Bureau Federation, head over to fb.org and check out the 117th Congress Briefing Booklet, which provides a great sense of what's on the minds of Farm Bureau members and leadership. And now I want to get into talking about the 2021 American Farm Bureau Virtual Convention, which is going to be held January 10th through the 13th. And registration is now open at fb.org. I know this isn't how you had hoped to conduct 102nd edition of the Farm Bureau Convention, but a lot of work has gone into making this a worthwhile experience for your attendees. It really has. And, you know, uh, I guess this you could really say that this is one of the silver linings of the pandemic. Uh, for the first time in the history of our organization, 102 years, we're going to do it virtually. But we, we've Cut, uh, we don't. We're not going to require any uh, registration fee, so we're ba- basically opening up to every Farm Bureau member and anybody in the world that wants to look inside the, the, the largest general farm organization in the world. We're going to have some great speakers. Uh, we're going to have uh, breakout sessions that's going to uh, give you information, help you go into 2021, uh, and be better prepared for what we're going to be facing there. So we invite everyone to be a part of our virtual convention and uh, hope that you will sit in the comfort of your home uh, and, and enjoy seeing what really goes on uh, in, our, in our convention and hope that you'll take away something that will just inform you and motivate you to be a more active member or maybe just become part of our Farm Bureau family by joining your county Farm Bureau. So you have addresses planned by Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs fame, also Navy SEAL Commander Rourke Denver, and Lando Lakes President and CEO Beth Ford. What else can folks expect out of the convention this year? A lot of educational breakout sessions that I think they'll take a lot away from uh, and be able to use in their in their farm operation this year. So we look forward to everybody joining us, and, and that definitely has been one of the silver linings. And, and there's several other silver linings. Uh, that we've identified, you know, when back in uh, March, um, March and April, when people went to the stores and saw some empty shelves, we realized that uh, people, the consumer was worried about the farmer going, was he still going to go out and work and produce the food? Well, we started hashtag still farming. Our state farm bureau did a great job of pushing it. We've touched almost a hundred million people. That's a third mm-hmm. of the population that's been touched. We've had the opportunity to be able to show, uh, tell people about, farmers and ranchers and the trials they went through through the pandemic and gave them a better understanding of what we do when we produce their food. So uh, there have been some silver linings in, in, in this year. Well, I can tell you what, just speaking from a, uh, a broadcaster standpoint, the, the uh, speed with wh- which you reacted and uh, started putting together news conferences and getting key folks out there and explaining why what was happening was happening what was really important and I can't speak for everybody, but I can just say how much I appreciated that. That, that was, uh, that was really big. Well, thank you. And you know, uh, one of the most exciting things we started was a week we called all our state presidents and we'd listen to them, see what issues they were facing that week. And the next week we would bring a specialist on whether 
uh, where it might, whether it be from the White House or USDA or EPA, uh, to be able to talk about those issues. You know, we, we actually had the President of the United States on the phone call with all our state presidents and 1,500 county presidents one Wednesday afternoon, which was very powerful. And, and from him to Andrew Wheeler at EPA and all the people in between, we were able to bring Washington back to the states and back to the counties. Well, I should also mention that another neat feature of the virtual convention, the Foundation Night, will go on and will feature performances by country music entertainers Sarah Evans and Phil Vassar. So that'll be a neat experience. Yeah, we're calling it Foundation Night in, and I promise you, you will enjoy it. We hope all of you will join us and you'll hear the, the announcement of the Dog of the Year, Farm Dog of the Year, <laughs> and everybody uh, anticipates that. And, and so in all our young farmer contests that we have, uh, real exciting to see young people uh, learn to uh, master their uh, their talent of being a leader and us helping them develop that. So that that's, that's always a fun time. I hope everybody will check into that. We'll check into the convention. If folks want to register for the convention, visit annualconvention.fb.org. Again, annualconvention.fb.org. And any final thoughts about uh, wrapping up 2020 and what we can look forward to in 2021 before we wrap it up here? Well, you know, kind of glad to get this one in the rearview mirror. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. hopeful, hopeful better times in, uh, in 21. Hopefully the vaccine will come on strong and help us get through this pandemic so we can all get back to our normal life. Uh, you know, it's been wonderful that we've had the technology that, that we've used to work from home. But it, it, it can't replace that personal touch that we have each and every day. And, and thank you to people like you that's helped us get the word out. Uh, without y'all, uh, we, we couldn't have kept people informed. So we appreciate you so much. A lot coming up in a year. You know, we want to make sure we start working to get our seat at the table with this new administration. Uh, that will help us make things move in the future. Uh, you know, strengthen the farm bill, take care of broadband, you know, continue to figure out ways to protect our employees. I mean, it's just so many things out there that we want to continue to work on and be at the table, have conversations, especially around, around subjects like climate. We want to make sure that climate policy is fair to farmers, is uh, market-based, and it's voluntary. And I think if we can do that, we can prove to the world that we have not only done a tremendous job in the last few decades, that we can continue to build on that to help the world take care of the climate. Well, President Duval, as always, thank you so much for taking the time and, and being so generous with your time here with us. And uh, we look forward to our next conversation. We'll try to get you back on here at mid-year to see how we're doing with uh, with everything here. But I, I, I wish you and yours the, the very best here in the new year. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. I just look forward to uh, let's talk about all the things that we're going to make happen in the middle of the year and, and that we go into next year and, and, and enjoy it and get back to normal in some fashion. So thank you and God bless you. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319.
Well, next up on the program, as has been our custom since starting the program, we kick off the new year by welcoming in David Widmar, the co-founder, along with Brent Gloy of consulting firm Agricultural Economic Insights to talk about the state of the farm economy going into the new year. David, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Great to join you again, Brent. Thanks for having me on. So much happened in 2020, but one of those things is that David and Brent Gloy became podcasters. They've got a new series out called Escaping 1980, which uh, delves into the farm crisis of the 1980s and, and kind of gives us a lens uh, through which to look at uh, what's going on today. What's that experience been like for you? Well, it's been a lot of fun. You know, one of the questions we get asked all the time when we're working with groups uh, producers or those who sit across the desk from producers is how is today's uncertainty and chaos similar to what we experienced in the 1980s? Of course, the 1980s is that that high water mark of chaos, low water mark in the farm economy. A lot of memories um, are from that time period. I think it's the most important decade in U.S. agriculture. We either lived through it and have the scars to show it, or we lived in the shadow of it. We grew up with all the lessons learned. And, you know, it's interesting because our story of the 1980s, actually, uh, the story of escaping 1980 begins in the early 1970s, as we start to tell the story of the boom era that happened with the great Russian grain robbery, and how we were sort of caught off guard by an adversary turned trade partner turned adversary by the end of the that decade in 1980 we actually put the russian embargo and so it was this chaotic time in american history chaotic time in agriculture history and we picked the podcast platform because we thought this was a a platform that allowed us to really roll up our sleeves tell a complicated story and pull out those nuggets of insights that are valuable today here in 2020 so welcome to the club, first of all. But second of all, <laughs> if folks want to hear that, where can they go to hear that? Well, Brent, first off, uh, you should have talked me out of this. These are a lot of work. <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun, but I never estimated how much work it would be. It's seven episodes. So kudos to you for this weekly, um, the weekly labor of love that you have here. I, I only had the the, the, the guts to do seven episodes and then we're done. And so it's not a huge commitment for listeners. Um, it's available anywhere and everywhere you listen to podcasts, Escaping 1980. You can learn more on our website. If you want to stream it from the web, you can do that at aei.ag slash Escaping 1980 or just aei.ag. But yeah, it's been, uh, I, was, I was ignorant of all the work it would be and that made it a little easier for us to bite that off here in 2020. So. Well, you do a great job with it and, and folks need to check that out because uh, it, you know, knowing that history is, is so important here. And I tell you, the, the, there was certainly nothing ordinary about 2020, but as we closed out the year, there was some optimism as we saw an increase in commodity prices and we learned that net farm income is projected to be up about 43% over last year to a seven-year high of almost $120 billion. Well, you know, it's, I would summarize the farm economy in 2020 with one word, and that's whiplash. And we started the year with optimism about this trade war resolution, the phase one trade agreement. And that was early in January, but there's a lot of ex ex excitement last winter about that. And that's when things started to get a little unsettled. And we got into February and March, and we started seeing this pandemic spreading. Then we had 97 million acres of corn on the books from that prospective planning report. Commodity prices tumbled. Oil traded negative. 
the USDA is scrambling to figure out ways to shore up the farm economy. By the time we get to the end of summer, we're waiting for another round of stimulus uh, in the federal government, but also in the ag economy. December corn futures in August hit 320, and then things start to turn around. The crop starts shrinking, commodity prices rebound, CFAP2 comes. It, it's, it's really interesting to think about all this because we went from a very, very bleak outlook in August, and producers should not forget about those concerns and those sleepless nights we had this summer and this in the spring. And now we're on the other side of this, and it's feeling pretty good. And so I think it's really important to, you know, what are the lessons that we learned from from 2020? Is it the the last the last three four months, which is the upside, or are we going to take away lessons about the commodity price falling and not being able to get bids to our local ethanol plants. And so we really have to be careful in how we think about the lessons that we learned and the lessons that we're going to carry forward after 2021, because they're all over the board. Well, I tell you, that was some of the good news, but there's still plenty of looming uncertainties. We head into 2021. We do know that leadership will change in three of the four top agriculture committees in Congress. We don't know what our trade relationship with China or other partners is going to look like. And, uh, on top of all that, we're still uncertain how COVID is going to treat us this year. Well, that's a pretty good summary of all the question marks that are looming. I think that um, we're starting to put together a positive narrative. So let's not let's not you know forget about that. The grain stock situation for the U.S. is tighter than it was a year ago. That's another positive story. But to your point, there are still some looming uncertainties, and this is why I think it's important that everyone sort of steps back, reevaluates where they are. And thinks, how can I shore up my risk management plan? How can I shore up my financial balance sheets? How can I shore up my marketing plans? My Maybe not even a farm, right? Maybe you're an agricultural business. And you think, how do I shore up myself uh, with whatever windfalls I've been able to capture the last few months to think about all that uncertainty? You know, it seems like there's less uncertainty going into 2021 than there was a year ago, which is probably true. But this is still an uncertain period of time in history, right? I mean... We have China that bought a lot. We're wondering what happens with phase one? What happens with their purchases in the next year? There's a lot of question marks. And so let's not, uh, I guess, get too comfortable or too cozy. I, uh, my warning sign, I guess, to my, my message to producers this winter is proceed with caution. There's a lot of caution out there. So let's proceed uh, accordingly. So over the past two years, I know we heard from Sonny Perdue many times, and his mantra was farmers want trade, not aid. But the administration felt like many farmers and trade groups pushed for aid through the market facilitation program and now two rounds of coronavirus food assistance program payments. In fact, the federal farm payments doubled in 2020, and those payments will account for nearly 40% of net farm income. That's more than $40 billion in direct payments from Uncle Sam. Do you see uh, a continued need for, for that kind of aid? And how is that going to factor into total farm net income going forward in the new year? So uh, a couple lessons there. One of them comes from former Secretary of Ag Earl Butts, who was actually a key player of this 1970 uh, story that led into the 80s. So listen, that's another plug for the podcast. But he gave a, 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 a one-liner that summed this up pretty good here in 2020. It's those who ride tigers may find dismounting difficult. <laughs> and here we are in 2020, and we've had three years of big government payments. And I would like to say it this way, are we in unusual times? Yes. Are we in unprecedented times? No. 
and that gets to your point, Brent. It's really important that we navigate this with with great management uh, capacities. We got to be careful here. And so we saw. So first off, $40 billion is a record high when you adjust for inflation, okay? That's one piece of this. But other, on the other hand, we've seen three other times in history with big government payments, 30, 35 billion went range. The 80s, the late 90s, early 2000s, and now today. So we're at historic highs, but we're not sort of completely out of the ballpark. What makes today unusual and why it's really important for 2021 and why that tiger is going to be potentially challenging next year is something like you know, I don't know if the number of time, 80 plus percent. So if it's 46 billion, uh, about 30 to 35 billion of that is what we call ad hoc, or it's as needed. That's a Latin word meaning as needed. And that means that it's not part of the farm bill. So they came out of the CCC funds, as you mentioned, or it came out of uh, the CARES Act or congressional stimulus. And what that means is that when producers make their budgets and plans for next year, they can think about the ARC and the PLC program. They can't think about an MFP type program. They can't think about a CFAP one or CFAP two. And frankly, that's been the bulk of, of those direct payments. That's been the bulk of, of that pie. So I'm encouraging producers to think about, you know, when you capture your, your financial performance here in 2020, think about what was the underlying economic activity of your operation and then how much of that was assistance. And, you know, there's going to be a long debate about, um, I think history is going to look back at this time period, similar to the 1980s. It's going to be a long debate. There are actually farm programs in the 1980s that live long and infamous. Uh, the PIC, Payment in Kind program, was one that in 1983, they paid farmers to idle acres, and then we had a big drought, and everyone was scratching their heads. Here in 2020, we released the CFAP2 program with 320 corn on the, on the Board of Trade. That's going to be a very bad outlook. And now we're sitting at 420 and everyone's scratching their head saying, hey, the farm economy is looking like one of the better years in history. Why did we pay farmers or why did we send so much in direct payments? And that's what makes decision making so important to be careful on how we evaluate that. Because when they were crafting CFAP2, the outlook was downright bleak. And here we are in a completely different environment just a few months later. So we mentioned commodity prices earlier. Where do you see them headed in the new year? And what's the outlook for corn and soybeans in 2021? So I think um, the most important, I think there's two key things to keep in mind. One, we have tighter ending stocks. That's, a, that's you know, the, uh, someone asked me the other day, could we have another run up of, of corn or soybean prices? Well, if you want to see a big explosion in the markets come next summer, you need two things to happen. The first is weather scare and two is tight stocks. So we have the first condition that's a necessary but not sufficient. So we still have to have a weather scare. Uh, so we start to have tightening stocks. That's a positive story. The second one is we've had a supply hiccup in 2019 and 2020 in the form of prevent plant. Not a lot of attention has been paid to this. So what I'm watching is how much are we going to produce in 2020? How many acres are we going to get planted? Uh, will we have another year prevent plant or will we see something below normal or closer to normal for prevent plant? There's, you know, I think it's important to sort of step back and say, hey, we have tight ending stocks. But part of that story is the U.S. factory hasn't been producing at 100% capacity or, uh, you know, that's a hard analogy, but we haven't been producing. We've been running below capacity the last two years. So we have a supply situation. 
that means our tight ending stocks can work themselves out, can clean itself up pretty quickly. There's another demand story. Keep an eye on China. But I think the two biggest pieces right now are tight stocks and what happens with production in 2021. Livestock and dairy prices were a concern for many farmers in 2020. Do you see any cause for optimism there in the new year? You know, I think, unfortunately, our uh, producers and friends in livestock, they've um, faced the challenges of COVID much more. Um, they were definitely more adversely impacted by the full-on price movements, but also the uncertainty. And I think there's still a lot of uncertainty in those markets. Uh, the recovery of the economy is going to be very linked to those, you know, what are Americans going to be doing next summer? Are they going to be barbecuing? Um, how is the vaccine going to get rolled out? Are they going to be able to get these plants with the vaccines uh, in, in these, these processing plants? You know, it, it also reminds me that if you took um, a headline, you know, it, there's, that, there's that movie several years ago where the guy got the newspaper the, the day before it happened, right? I forget what the name of that show was. But if you could give a, a, a cattle producer or a livestock producer uh, the newspaper from, you know, May, and they got one headline in, in the first of the year, and that headline might have been retail uh, beef prices and pork prices and, and chicken prices soar to the moon. That would have felt like a good story. That would have seemed like a good story in, in January. And one of the lessons we learned here is that, you know, what might, one piece of information on its own can be dangerous. And that one piece of information, which is retail prices hit all time highs, was not reflective of what the producers were facing. At the same time, producers were facing lower prices. And so, we got to work through that. And I think we got to rebuild. Um, we got to build up some of the, we got to work through the buildup of inventories. We got to get the supply chain put back together. And then what happens with consumer demand on the other side? I think we're still in a hiccup and a, a bit of a roller coaster for livestock. Hopefully the worst of it's behind us, but you know, one of the challenges in agriculture, and this is a long answer. I apologize is long production cycles. We're not like, building iPhones or we're not like building, you know, barbecue grills. We can't just stop the factory a day early or work an extra shift uh, on the week. We, in crops, it's, it's about one year. So if we want to change and make an adjustment in the factory, it takes about a year for us six months globally, but on the livestock, it takes even longer. So we're thinking about how do we make adjustments to the, the livestock herd or the, the cattle herd or the uh, poultry and the swine herd, it takes time. It takes a lot of time to get all those adjustments moved. So that's what makes it a little bit challenging for those producers. So what else is on your radar for 2021 here? You know, the macro economy. I think there's just a lot of uh, things to keep an eye on the macro economy. Uh, how does the U.S. economy recover? What sort of stimuluses might we see in the last few weeks of December of 2020 and the first few weeks of 2021? Um, you know, longer term, I think one of the points that needs to uh, be thought about in the farm economy is the long tail of COVID. And I'll give you an example from history is in 2008, we had the stimulus associated with the housing crisis and the government spent a lot of money and we ran up the deficit. And then we got to the 2013 farm bill and we didn't pass the farm bill in 2013 because it was too challenging uh, for the budget and all the stuff. So we had to kind of kick the can down the road and we passed it in 2014. So that gave us ARC and PLC programs. But then there's another piece of legislation called sequestration. And that was an attempt to claw back some of the 
outlays the government had promised. And so the ARC payments that producers would have seen, and PLC payments, producers would have got paid in 2019 from that farm bill that was passed in 2014 were, was reduced by sequestration. So that, the idea there is sequestration was the fallout of the 2008 recession from the housing crisis, and it lasted till 2019 in, in farm payments. There is going to be an even longer tail here. So the economy, the deficit spending has been huge. It's going to impact our negotiations for the farm bill. It's going to impact how we spend, how we tax, and how we view growth in the U.S. economy for at least the next decade. And I think that's something that producers have to really think about is where are we going down the road? And there are just some hard political realities. Not, you know, talking about politics, talking about political realities. And the political realities are we're going to be living with the uh, the challenges of COVID, but also the stimuluses, um, some to the positive and some to the negative. We got to pay those back at some point. That's on my radar. I think we're going to start to see those conversations come to the forefront in 2021. As we move past the virus, as we move past some of the, the economic slowdowns, we're going to start thinking about the longer term story here in the U.S. and globally. Well, folks want to follow the great work being done by yourself and Brent Gloy. Where can they find it? AEI.ag, that's our website. Uh, that's the easiest way we're on social media. And of course, one last plug, Escaping 1980. I think that's a great way to really, if you like listening to a story, it's a, it's a different product from what we're used to. Um, we got a great co-host or and show producer to help us uh, make them some magic there. So it's a lot of fun and it really challenges your thinking about you know, how, how do we evaluate decision-making? How can we make better decisions with the lens of history? Well, I tell you what, you've got these long gray January days here with, with not a lot to do. So, so pull up that podcast and listen to it. Educate yourself. And David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Fast Line Fast Track. We always appreciate your insights and we wish you all the best in the new year. Always great to join you. Thanks so much. We've been talking with David Widmar of Agricultural Economic Insights. Well, next up on the program, we want to welcome in Wade Barnes, the CEO of Farmer's Edge, a leading digital agriculture company. He made some headlines recently when he released a number of 2021 predictions for the agriculture industry. So we wanted to have him on here to discuss those predictions with us. And Wade, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, well, thank you for having me. Hey, we should mention that Wade himself is a farmer growing wheat, canola, barley, and peas on his farm in Berto, Manitoba, north of the border. Wade, the first prediction you put out there is that 2021 will be a breakout year for women, which I definitely hope you're spot on about. What brought you to this prediction? Well, I mean, I think women in agriculture, you know, you're, you're seeing that trend, you know, dramatically change where women are taking a huge uh, role, both at a farm level, but also at the industry level. I mean, if I uh, look back in my time in my career, um, at the early stages, you very seldom saw a female running a farm operation. And today that's a common uh, component on the farm, whether they're operating it uh, jointly with their husband or they're the lead. Um, and what you're also finding is, is that families are smaller now. And so there's a son and a daughter. And traditionally, it was always expected that the son would come home and run the farm. And now that that's, uh, that's not the case. The daughter, um, and many times is the one that's actually coming back and, and, and running the operation. And that just spills over into our industry. More women are involved. And, you know, when I look at our, our group, you know, when it comes to um, our operations teams, that was generally dominated by men. And, and now um, some of our very best operation management are, are, are females. And so 
I just think that agriculture is trending um, in a really positive way where females are making a huge impact and it's only going to continue. I love that. Your next prediction is that nitrous oxide mandates are on the horizon. You believe that the new year will increase the adoption of data-driven fertilizer applications that will apply precisely the right amount needed to reduce nitrous oxide emissions. And uh, that's definitely good news for Farmer's Edge. Yeah. I I mean, look, precision agriculture has been around for a while and a lot of farmers have been utilizing that technology to precisely place fertilizer because you know that it's good business i think you know with the the recent focus on the environment and um and climate change you know farmers have been sort of pointed to as a as a, as a bit of a problem and, and it's really not the case actually farmers are making huge impacts by managing their nitrogen and they haven't typically told that story well and i think you know you're you're seeing um these agricultural protocols that come in in order to reduce the impact of, of nitrous oxide, which is 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And farmers are, are, are going to start getting paid in order to do that. Now, digital is going to play a big factor because you need to, you know, essentially measure and, and, and monitor and validate and verify. And, and now today with the digital, digital technologies that are embedded in farm equipment, it's going to be easy to do. So I I think farmers have a great story to tell. They're going to create value for themselves uh, um, from being good environmental stewards, and it's going to be great um, for the globe. Well, you also believe that in 2021, we'll begin to see carbon credits in the $30 to $50 an acre range, and uh, you believe consumer demand will make carbon offsets attractive to farmers. Yeah. so, So even, you know, right now in Canada, um, we have a province, uh, the, the the province of Alberta already has a carbon um, program or regime in place, and those carbon credits are already worth $35. And so I think you're going to see this spread um, across the voluntary markets. And I think, you know, with what we're hearing and seeing what's happening in the U.S., that, that um, the USDA is getting really involved in this. I, I think that, you know, $30 to $40 is, is, probably realistic and it's going to go up from there and so i think uh, again it's 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 um it's exciting to be able to see that farmers are going to be able to to create value from some of this and 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 be able to participate in this new sort of carbon economy so we've seen this trend over the past few years of consumers wanting to know where their food is coming from and as that happens farmers are deploying data-driven tools to determine which variety of crops they'll grow where they'll plant them for the best yield and also how to manage supply and demand to prevent shortages of specific crops that need for thorough consistent up-to-the-moment data is just continuing to increase isn't it yeah i mean look there's a digital disruption that's happening in agriculture. And so um, this digital ecosystem is going to drive that change. And so farmers have never been close to the consumer. There's always been other middlemen in the road. And, and as, as we know, in other sectors, you know, technology enables the consumer to be closer to the producer. And so you're going to agricultural be no different. And so, Again, the consumers, they want to know where their food's coming from. They want to know that it's been grown in an environmentally safe way. Farmers are doing that, but a lot of times they don't have the ability to tell the consumer their story. And I think that one of the real key trends is 
giving the consumer and the farmer the ability to be closer. Now they're not going to be neighbors, but through um, you know the, the through digital, it'll enable consumers to get that much closer, and that's going to create huge value for the grower. and uh, And that's not going to change. That's only going to increase. So I think uh, farmers have a huge opportunity here to really key on, and I, I think that will create more value to the grower. And I think it's uh, the all the fringe benefits of traceability, sustainability, and and, and food security will come with that digitalization. And again, um, the farmer's going to be a big winner from it. Well, the talk of 2020 was the COVID-19 virus and the impact it had on the supply chain. This brought attention to the need for many farmers to step up the pace of digitizing their operations and using a platform that links them with partners, insurance agents, and, and bankers. And that's something that's only going to grow here as uh, we move through 21, isn't it? You know, it's a real crucial thing that that around the connectivity to the farm. So, you know, I as a farm kid growing up, I've always been told that farmers were really important or that that we fed the world. Um, and, you know, uh, so I, I don't live on the farm anymore. I, I live in an urban center. And when COVID hit and the long lines at the grocery store, people started to run out of toilet paper and people know that I'm in agriculture. And so as I would walk down the street, people from my neighborhood have never had any connection to the farm were coming up to me, asking me, are the Mm -hmm. farmers doing okay? Are they going to be able to put a crop in? You know, I'm getting worried that, that we're not going to be able to get flour at the store. And, and I, and I don't think that, um, first of all, I'd never had anybody be that concerned about what was happening at the farm. And I think that COVID really sort of showcased how fragile, uh, you know, essentially the food supply is. And and I think um, people started to think about the farmer a lot more. And I, and I think that when we have to be protective of that, and if you look at how agriculture is run, it's a very sort of eyeball to eyeball business. You know, farmers have salesmen that come onto their farm and they sell them products or they sell them services or, you know, the insurance um, agents come on and sign growers up. Well, really at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff can be done digitally. And so I think as we kind of go forward, we'll have to think about how, you know, farmers can do business digitally to protect themselves because we need them protected because we need them in their tractor seats going out and planting crops and harvesting it. And uh, because they're um, um, because they're sort of the glue that holds the fabric of society together. And I think people got a rude awakening of that. Well, along those lines, you believe the USDA is going to be under pressure to change its stance on digital and sure tech tools and might back off the requirement for agents and brokers to meet face to face with growers. Yeah, again, I think coming off the backs of that COVID issue, I think a lot of industries are, are just questioning how they normally do business. I mean, we get sort of in a rut of this is how we've always done it. And when there's an opportunity to do something that's better, but it's out of your comfort zone. And, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, if you download an app so that you don't have to wait in line to get coffee, you never go back and wait in line again. You know, once technology betters your life or betters the systems or the people around you, you never go backwards. And I think that, um, I think groups like the USDA, the RMA, all, all, you know, different government groups, people, you know, industry groups are going to embrace technology more than they've ever have before. Um, And, and that's what really COVID's done. Now, I think 
at the end of the day, technology companies like Farmers Edge or anybody else, we have to uh, uh, take that challenge and ensure that the products we deliver make those impacts. Um, when the consumer's ready to move, make sure the technology does, you know, really change their lives. And if we and if we do that, man, I think you're going to see agriculture change forever. Well, I'd say if folks want to learn more about the tools Farmers Edge offers, where can they go? Well, you can go to our website um, and, uh, you know, just Google Farmers Edge and you'll be able to find uh, a Farmers Edge guy in your in, near to your area. Well, wait, these are some interesting predictions. And now that we're into 2021, the clock is ticking. I'm looking forward to having you back in the future here to see how these predictions fared. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We've been talking with Farmer's Ed CEO, Wade Barnes. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. The oil burner that you use to heat your shop and farm office when tuned up, working efficiently, and with the mixture adjusted with a meter will consume around five gallons of heating oil a day during the winter and one gallon per day for hot water in the off season. The nozzle tip is dirty, the fuel pressure low due to a restricted filter, and the water tubes in the firebox clogged with carbon. It now uses three more gallons of oil per day in the winter and one more gallon during the rest of the year for an annual increase of 490 gallons at $2.25 a gallon. This adds up to $1,225 or the equivalent of 350 bushels of corn. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Ray Bohax will be launching Farm Machinery Digest Radio Saturday, January 2nd at 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio, Channel 147. I hope you go and give him a listen. Well, now we head on over to the musical side of the house where we welcome back to the program the very first musical guest we ever had on the show, the guy that got us started, Wade Jennings. He's covered a lot of ground in the last two years, and he's back this week to tell us all about it. Wade, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, man. How you been? I've been doing real good, man. Real good. I mean, I spent a lot of time at home with the family, but, you know, been doing all right. Man, I tell you what, you've had a big year here. You've got gotten married, uh, got, got yourself a new house there in central Pennsylvania. A lot of a lot of great positive changes here this year. Yeah, man, it's been a fantastic year. I mean, at the beginning of this year, I made a post, and my wife lets me know about it all the time. That I said, "39, what an insignificant year. Was this <laughs> the best year of my life?" And it was. It's been the best year of my life. It has been. I love it, man. And uh, you released some new music this year. We're going to talk about that here, here in a little bit. But uh, before we get things going, uh, we're going to kick it off with a little bit of music tonight. At the beginning of the year, you put out your fabulous new album, Gypsy Soul. The first thing you did was make a video for the title track at the famed Nashville Palace. Tell us about this music video for Gypsy Soul. Oh, man, it was a good time. Uh, we had we were playing at the Nashville Palace, and we got a friend of ours to come out and film it. And... Um, it was pretty good, 
time. I mean, honestly, my cousin came out and he thought somebody was trying to steal my truck because I had, <laughs> I had somebody pull my truck out because I was going to leave the Nashville Palace and get in my truck and then drive away at the end of it. Uh-huh. And somebody moved my truck. My cousin went out there and yelled at him. <laughs> <laughs> but was it was that, a pretty good time, man. I like the Nashville Palace. They've always been real good for us. Was that Strogel that did that? Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's got his own career going on, man, doing quite well for himself as well. Yeah, he is. Yeah, we should have an album coming out here coming in January. So, awesome. just keep getting pushed off and pushed off and pushed off because this COVID thing. But I think we're really gonna get it out in January. So we'll see what happens. Man, that's excellent. Well, I'm gonna roll this. This is Gypsy Soul, the title track from uh, Wade Jennings' album here. Some loving, honey, I'll be here for a while. But if you're searching for a husband, girl, you know that just ain't my style. So if you're falling for me, darling, just go ahead. And get back up Cause I got a couple thousand miles Still ain't put on This old pickup truck Yeah, I'm a gypsy And I always find my way On down the road Yeah, I'm a gypsy
Ah, uh, written before uh, you found somebody to tame that gypsy soul for you. Yes, sir. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Shout out. Man, that was a good time we had making that video. That was my aunt there at the end of it. Okay. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of good people in that video. A lot of good little uh, cameos in that one. So how have things changed for you as an artist as you've tried to find your own voice and your own style and really settle into uh, what you feel comfortable with as an artist? Well, I guess I've spent my whole life just trying to trying to do yeah. it. You know what I mean? Just, you know, I didn't really have no roots grounded in nowhere. I just sort of hit the road and started doing my thing, you know, and I did what I thought people wanted to see, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I guess gradually through time, I just got tired. You know, I mean, I really still kind of searching to see who I really am, you know. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of this year, we got hit with a pandemic, you know, and uh, everything just stopped. Yeah. And I had to take a look at myself and I didn't really like what I seen. Mm -hmm. So uh, went and checked myself into a rehab and I got sober. I've mm -hmm. been sober now, going on 10 months and uh, got married. We have a baby on the way, bought a house. You know, I've really been enjoying being home. I mean, I'm missing work a lot. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. It's kind of hard to go 12 years on the road and then you stop, you know? Yeah. But really working on my house and working on my family and the people I love, it's been really a blessing. So. Well, it's been remarkable to see this year, man. It's uh, it's really awesome. And, you, and you're putting out some incredible music here as, as well. So uh, I, I'm excited for you. I'm excited to see everything you got going on. Yeah, I'm excited too, man. I mean, I'm really excited to see where it goes from here i mean i'm really ready for this pandemic thing to get over with so i get back to work you know yeah but i'm really not looking forward to leaving my family right now really you know yeah we've gotten really close over the last year uh-huh i just like waking up to my seven-year-old even when i don't want to wake up to my seven-year-old <laughs> <laughs> but yes. you know my wife she's been a really great woman to me and uh, i'm very grateful right now yeah. I love that, man. I was reading an interaction you were having with a fan on Facebook here a few days ago where you explained how at every show you're always asked to sing some of your grandfather's songs and you're always ob obliged because of the pride that you feel for, for his legacy. What what does that mean for you to be able to keep that connection alive? It really means a whole lot to me. But, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to I feel like I'm getting closer to my grandfather, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I've been experiencing some of the same things on a different level, of course, but some of the same things he must have experienced in his career too, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel uh, it's a blessing. It's a really a huge blessing because I love that everybody loves my grandfather's music because honestly, I'm one of my grandfather's biggest fans himself. Yeah. You know I mean, I love singing his music. It's great music. Yeah. I've been really kind of buckling down on trying to figure out what kind of message I want to put out, you know what I mean? It really means something to me. And yeah. my, my kids can listen to it and I'll be proud of, you know? Yeah. Um, it's been like a catch 22 sort of, man. Cause I don't know. I don't want to push my fans away, but yeah. I don't want to push me away either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've really been trying to find that happy medium, of what kind of music I want to put out next. And um, I've been, getting pretty close so we'll see what happens really i love it out of all the songs uh, of his which is your favorite to perform 
out of all his songs, I'd probably have to say a lonesome one you mean. I love that song. Yeah. That Jack of Diamonds and Clyde. Uh-huh. And I've always been all of them, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with any of them, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. Uh, before we go any further here, I, I want to toss another video up here. This is one that you did here uh, last year, pre-pandemic here, uh, up in Minnesota. I've always been crazy here, man. So uh, everybody enjoy this one here, real quick. This is way do, doing his grandfather justice here. I love it. 
Let's see our buddy John Shockneck from Minnesota there, and the that uh, was uh, dancing around there on the dance floor. If you can't tell anything from that video, uh, uh, man, people like to come to a Wade Jennings show to have some fun. Yeah, man. definitely, man. I do. I'm grateful. I have a lot of good fans out there. Minnesota is one of my favorite places. I ain't been there in a little while, but I love it. I do. That's good stuff. And I love how much you love keeping uh, your grandfather's legacy alive. It, it's been exciting to watch. And another guy who's been really good about that, our buddy Thomas Gabriel, who uh, is the eldest grandson of Johnny Cash. I know you guys are, are good friends and just a great artist in his own right. Yes, he is, man. I love Thomas, man. Me and him got a lot in common. And uh, he's really good at what he does. He's got a hell of a band behind him. He's got a hell of a voice. So yeah. You know what he is, go check him out. He's a hell of a dude. For sure. And another guy who's been through his share of uh, of challenges o over the course of his life and his career here. But is, it seems like he's on the other side of it and doing really well, too. Yeah. Yes, he does. He's been doing really good. Yeah, uh, here, Here's a familiar face checking in. Uh, Waves manager, Tammy. Yeah, I love that woman, man. She's been a blessing. She really has. I tell you what, yeah, I know she keeps you on the straight and narrow and keeps everything squared away and, and, and keeps you... Uh, 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 all lined out on your tour and everything else going on in your career here. She's been great to work with. Yeah, she's a great lady, man. Between her and Terry, man, they really changed my life. They really did. I mean, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today, that's for sure. I was headed down a dark, narrow path, and it was, it was rough. So I love, I love Tammy with all my heart. She's my momager. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so one of the other cool things that you've been able to do is some appearances over the past couple of years with the remaining original cast members of the Dukes of Hazard. Of course, your grandfather sang the theme song and uh, was the show's narrator, and they really adopted you as part of the Dukes family. Yeah, they really have, man. It's been great. Yeah, Ben and Alma Jones, man, they've been a blessing in disguise, man. They came out of nowhere and just changed my whole life, man. They really believed in me, and uh, I'm really grateful for those two right there. Then Catherine Bach and Tom Wopat, they were some great folks too. Yeah, all of them really. have been. It's been a lot of Dukes events over the last couple of years, and it's been really a blessing. Every one of them. I've yeah, been recording out there at uh, Ben and Alma Studio out there in Laredo, Virginia. Uh huh. I've got some music in the work right now that we just recorded here a couple months ago, so that should be coming out pretty soon. And um, my. The album I have out uh, live at Nashville Palace, they help record. They help record that, and uh, and Gypsy Soul. So I love them, man. Such kind people, Ben, ben and Alma. Uh, uh, they're so good. And if people don't know, ben, ben Jones, of course, played Crazy Cooter on yeah. uh, on the show. And uh, man, he has spent the last forty years just passionately oh, promoting that show and its culture and everything that goes along with it. And uh, he, he's just never stopped beating that drum, really. That's true. And we did the... Uh, the Huckabee Show? Is Huckabee that what you... Yeah, the Huckabee Show. Yeah. yeah, we did the Huckabee Show together not long ago. So that was pretty cool. Well, funny you brought that up because I just so happened to have a clip for that. I'm going to roll that for anybody who didn't get to see it here. Just a short clip to uh, to, to, to show uh, you playing with uh, some of the original cast members here. Everybody check this out real quick. Making their way. I tell you, the uh, young boy in me that used to uh, lay on the uh, living room floor watching that show every Friday night was geeking out, seeing that. That that had to be something, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was great, man. That's one of the high points of my career, man. I loved it. Mm -hmm. 
Huckabee Bee was playing bass for us. Everything was good, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and and there's some great people. They go out and do a, a, still a ton of events here, even 40 years into that show, doing a lot of autograph signings and comic cons and all this stuff here. Just kind of keeping the uh, the legacy of that show alive. You would not believe the fan base of that show. I that's mean, insane. they come out of the woodworks. Any kind of Dukes event that's ever put on, man, people come in, they show their love for that show, and I, they earned it. You know what I mean? And it's really great being a part of it. Really well, I tell you, social media has probably been the best thing that's happened for that because I follow a bunch of those uh, uh, Facebook groups, man. It's just the, the the fandom for that show is just rabid. It's crazy. Yeah, I never would have thought, man. I knew that the show was great. Don't get me wrong. I knew they had lots of fans. Yeah, yeah. But I never knew that so many people. It's like a lot of people are really stapled into that show, man. It's really awesome. I've never seen so many groups that. General Lee's in my life, you know. Oh uh, yeah, there are so many. <laughs> there are so many. Well, I think part of it too is just the fact that yeah, maybe people didn't even realize it. <clears throat> excuse me, at the time, but now now it's a matter of uh, there really hasn't been anything that great on TV in the last few years. So people are kind of coming back around and and revisiting that and just seeing how entertaining it was. I don't think they knew what they had there at the time. That's true, man. It's really it's really a shame that a lot of this stuff with the rebel flag. Is really kind of taking them off the air and all that. Yeah. But, but you know, if anybody goes back and watches any episode of that show, they'll don't know right off the bat there's no hate. There's zero hate no. involved at all. No. Just having that flag on the roof, it killed it. Killed it. They took it right off. All this PR, you know, PC stuff, whatever. Yeah. That's insane. It's crazy. How are you going to just destroy a show over that one thing, you know? Yeah. But you know, I mean, I still, I still have faith that everything's going to come back around and everything will get figured out. Yeah, that's one thing that needs to be remembered, man. They did nothing to promote love and good times, you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, who are you listening to these days? Uh, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Good answer. From a, from a, from a music standpoint, what what are you playing? Oh, yeah, I play pretty much the same thing I've always played. I mean, I play a lot of Waylon. I play a lot of Leonard Skinner. I listen to Thomas Gabriel quite a bit. My buddy Josh Morningstar. Uh, let's see, uh, Casper McQuaid. Um, just a bunch of them, really. I mean, a bunch of guys out there. You know, Cody Jinks. Yeah. Uh, really, I just I ain't had a lot of time to listen to music. When I do, it's good music, you know. Yeah. I don't really like a lot of the flash and glamour and a lot of the music, you know. But anything that makes me feel good, really. I'm a fan of all musicians because it's hard doing this job, you know. Yeah. Regardless of what, what point in your career you are, it's a really tough job to get into. It's really a tough career to uphold. Especially when you're used to being on the road 290 days of the year, you know. Yeah. Any anybody that you'd like to work with, either write or perform with, that uh, that, that you'd like to still do here in your career? Willie Nelson. Yeah, better get yeah. that one in. And Jamie Johnson. I like oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Sturgill Simpson. Yeah. Do some with him. Shooter, of course. Yeah. Shooter, of course. Uh, I really like to get my family together once, see what we could all do together. Wow, boy, that'd be something. I, I saw where Shooter has uh, just gotten into some new production stuff here. Yeah, yeah, he's been doing real good. He's been a busy man. Been yeah, doing a lot. 
seen him in Nashville a couple, like, what was it, about a month ago? Uh-huh. Two months ago? Yeah. And uh, he was in the middle of recording and doing stuff out there, too. He's busy. He's like a busy body. He's always doing something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and just kind of the way things fell, uh, he, he's your uncle, but you guys are kind of closer in age. Uh, what, what was that like uh, growing up? Uh, we grew up more like brothers than we did anything, really. You know, mm-hmm. he's just only two years older than me. You yeah. Know? But, you know, my parents got divorced at a young age, and I pretty much was raised by my mom. You know, I've seen him a lot growing up, but not as much as I'd like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's a genius, man. He's been start, he started in this business really, really young, and he's accomplished quite a lot. You know, he's accomplished way more than I have, for sure. You know, and uh, I'm proud of him. I'm very proud of him. I'm glad yeah. he's doing what he's doing, and I hope he keeps on the path he's on. Well, I tell you what, man, this the, this latest album, Gypsy Soul, that uh, you released here sh- shows some genius, uh, man, man, in your own right. T- tell me about the inspiration behind it. Um, I've been writing songs pretty much my whole life since I was young. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and spill a few little bit about myself. When I was young, I got into the darker side of life, you know. I mean, I started doing drugs at a pretty young age. And I got, when my mama, when my mama passed away, I dove way deep in it, you know, and I was just got to the point of out of my mind, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It started writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. And I poured out everything inside of me out on paper, you know, and uh, a lot of it was great. A lot of it wasn't, you know what I mean? A lot of it I worked on, a lot of it I didn't, you know what I mean? But I feel like a lot of blessings come out of dark places, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, today I wake up every morning, glad to be alive. We read the Bible every morning. We do our prayers. And I'm just thankful that God never turns his back on me, you know what I mean? Even during the dark periods of my life. I mean, I put a lot of people through a lot of things I should never have. Mm -hmm. uh, It was great writing the music I've written. I'm glad that that I could bring something good out of all the pain. But it's been a painful life, man. It really has. It's been a uh, loss after loss after loss. And uh, I mean, my, my mom passed away. My daddy passed away. Lost a lot of good friends. My cousins. I mean, I don't know if you've done research on the Jennings family here lately, but we've been dropping like flies. Pretty <laughs> hard for a long time. And uh, I'm just glad to make it out alive, really. Yeah. And, uh, I'm looking forward. My main, my biggest thing I'm looking forward to doing is writing an album out of a light place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of a dark place. Because I look back at a lot of the songs I've written and a lot of the experiences I've put out in the public, and uh, I don't want that to be my legacy. I want something good to come out of my legacy. Yeah. I want to be able to uh, put a positive message out there. There's always a silver lining, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I gave up on that silver lining. Yeah. I tell you what, man, as long as you got breath in your body and uh, uh, you you know what you need to do, there's a lot of opportunity there, it seems like. You got the talent, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really glad I do, man. I'm looking looking at all these pieces of my puzzle right now. Yeah. And I'm putting them together. And uh, I'm really hoping that I can. Actually, I'm not hoping that I can. I know that I will, yeah. and something great is going to come of it. So everybody keep their eyes and ears open. 
because wage earnings ain't done. Wage earnings is just starting. So uh, I love it, and we're we're going to be here to chronicle that journey, man. Uh, I, I'm glad we get to share that together because it's a it's a special thing. Yeah, it is a very special thing. I've been given a gift, and I'm going to use it to bring some light into this world. Is what I'm going to do. Well, the most recent single from that album is a song called "Bad at Being Sad." Tell me about that one. Oh, that is a beautiful song written by my manager, and the closest thing I got to a mother on this earth. You know, mm-hmm. when the first show I ever did out here in PA was a, a show called Concert at the Caves. It was a concert that Tammy was putting on out here, and uh, when we showed up, it was mostly an acoustic show. Mostly acoustic show acts before us. And it was like everybody was, was there and it's kind of hanging out, you know what I mean? And then we got up there and me and my band, I was proud. I was very proud of my band that night. And we went up there and we rocked that place. Yeah. But one per- one thing I remember seeing was this little old lady back at the back of the line, then back of the crowd. She was just back there dancing away in her chair. She wasn't on her feet, but she was getting down. Man. <laughs> and I ran out there and I, and I hugged her and I told her, thank you for enjoying the show so much. And I brought her up front. And I put her on a Harley Davidson and got it cranked up and everything. And she just had the time of her life. I love that woman. She was she was really the life of that party, man. She really was. And she's been that woman turned out to be Tammy's nan. And uh here recently Tammy lost her nan, passed away. And uh she asked me how I dealt with pain. But she knew I lost my mom. She knew I'd lost a lot of people, you know. And I told her just sit down and write, 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 write. Don't make no, don't make no sense. It don't matter. It just keep writing and writing and writing and writing until you write out all your pain. You know what I mean? And that's what she did. She sat down and wrote, 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 and she came up with this song, "Bad at Being Sad." And this one of the most beautiful songs I ever heard, and it was a pleasure to be able to record it. All right, we'll roll this. Bad at Being Sad. at pictures and I can't say your name you're no longer here with us and there ain't no one to blame every day I cry and it's not time to And I'm mad cause I don't know what to do 
I'm just bad at being sad and not too damn good at missing you. I keep my head spinning with a million and one different thoughts. To forget the one thought that completely tears me apart. I wanna take a trip down memory lane and see things that made us laugh. But without you here, I can't go there. So I just avoid the past. What a song. Hell of a job at that. Man, I appreciate it. I tell you what, I, I went back looking at that today. You know, we were working on that video, uh, man, earlier this year. And at the time that we put it together, uh, you know, we, we hadn't lost Charlie Daniels and we hadn't lost Charlie Pride. Now to go back and look at that now. Yeah. But uh, there, there's... <laughs> There's so, so many great faces in that video, though, man. Just going back and lo looking at all, all, all the great people and just thinking about how that music touches people. It's pretty special. So what else is in the works for you for 2021? Uh, work, 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 man. I mean, I mean, I got to go. I'm going to record with my cousin Struggle in January. He's releasing his album, and I got we're doing two songs together on it. Uh -huh. And then we're going to release a few singles off of an album we recorded last year. But we've never had time to get out because of all this stuff going on. Uh -huh. 
That's I've it, got it. going on. I'm be touring. We've been working on a tour for 2021, but uh, I'm not sure when it's going to begin or when it's going to end. It just depends on the way everything goes, really. Yeah, something that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, you know, I know uh, everybody thinks about Waylon as being hardcore outlaw, and then you got Struggle, who's doing more of a hip hop type deal. And uh, I think there's probably a lot of people that try to figure out how to square that. But Waylon himself liked a whole lot more than just uh, country music. Oh yeah, man, he was a big fan of a lot of music. You know, Good Hearted Woman come off of a Billboard for uh for, ten, for uh, Tina Turner, and huh. I actually. It was, a, it was a Tina and Ike Turner review, a good-hearted woman loving a good-hearted man, huh. and that's where he wrote that song off of. But um, my dad was a big music buff man. He had an extensive record collection of all kinds of music, and if you think about it, any good song that's ever been recorded, my grandfather covered it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. while he was alive, you know. And he did like "Can't You See," he did "Gold Dust Woman," he did a lot of music. He was more rock and roll than country, really, if you want to know, in my opinion. But, you know, he was just, you really can't put him into a mold, you know? I mean, you really can't say he's country or rock and roll or blues or anything, because he really kind of covered it all, really. Yeah. But, you know, kind of like me. I mean, only thing country about me is the way I talk and the way I look. You know? <laughs> I'm a rocker at heart. I mean, I love fast place, hard, hard jam and music, you know? Yeah. Country rock and blues. I mean, any kind of music that makes you feel something, I'm about. You know what I mean? So, if it's hip hop, it's hip hop. I love hip hop. I mean, I grew up when I was young. I listened to a lot of hip hop. You know? Yeah. But I'm really proud of my cousin Struggle. I mean, he's really started his own kind of genre, really. I mean, he's not really, I mean, he is rap, but he's rap in a way that's great. You know, I mean, I love what he's doing with everything he's been doing. He's covering gospel. He's covering country. He's covering rock and roll. I mean, he's done a lot, you know. Yeah. And whatever path he takes, I'm, I'm behind him 100%, you know, I mean, because he's really a family man. He's family-oriented, and he's got a good heart. And he went through a lot of hard times to get to where he's at right now. So Tammy put a comment on here to uh, remember to mention the Keith Whitley Memorial Show, which I guess is it, it was originally supposed to be in November down in Nashville, and that's been moved to January. So make sure you go to Way's website, uh, WayJennings.com, and check out all the details on that because he'll be performing there at that, and and that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's the Keith Whitley Fingerprint on Country Music Awards. And it's going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. It was supposed to be in November. But, you know, Jesse Keith Whitley is a good friend of mine. And uh, he has to be a part of it. And that's what we're doing. And uh, I love his family, too, man. I'm a big Keith Whitley, Keith Whitley fan. Yeah. Big George Morgan fan. Big Jesse Keith Whitley fan. We've done a few shows together. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, the people who are around today and the people who are working right now, we're all tight-knit just like it used to be back in the day, you know. Yeah. Everybody gets to help everybody else. And that's really a good feeling, you know what I mean? A lot of part of the music business, when it comes to the big old, to the big end of it all, yeah, it's kind of cutthroat. But where I'm at right now with the people I'm enjoying my life with and the people I'm working with, everybody's really out there for each other and with each other. And I really appreciate every bit of it. And I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah. So what does it take to build a fan base in these days of digital downloads and Spotify and social media and so forth? 
Well, uh, you want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a lot of gas money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of yeah. gas money, a lot of phone calls, and a lot of yeah. showing. And that's that's how I did it. I mean, the fan, fan base I made, I made face-to-face, man. I mean, I've played in every state in this country more than once, and uh, I'm going to continue to do so. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, I love, I love my fan base mostly because we're all friends. And we're all family, man. I mean, a lot of my fans have been there for me in a lot of hard times. And a lot of my fans just showed me all have a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guarantee you, 75% of my fan base I've met face-to-face, you know? And uh, I'm proud of that. And, uh, yeah, we get a good, lot of good digital, digital downloads and all that stuff from overseas. And I got a lot of fans overseas I wish I could get over to meet, you know what I mean? But. And here, hopefully, pretty soon I will be, you know what I mean? But right now, I'm a United States kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, uh, Tammy was mentioning on here also uh, a date coming up in March with Confederate Railroad. Those guys have been uh, uh, pretty big supporters of yours. Yeah, they have, man. I mean, uh, I love Confederate Railroad. They're great. They've been catching a lot of flack, too, over the Confederate thing. It's, I just don't get it. I mean, why do people want to dig up old news and and try to make it a new thing? I mean, there's no none of these people that are can have anything to do with hate groups or hate at all. Yeah. I mean, it just don't make no sense. It seems like the hate groups on the other side of the fence right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And really getting on my nerves, really. I mean, because Confederate Railroad is one of the best damn country bands out there. Yeah. Still, they. I mean, I've seen their show here recently, and it's, they still rock as much today as they ever did. Yeah, they're bringing it. And people want to give them a hard time over the name of their band. It's just you can't expect somebody who spent thirty years with the name with the name of their band to change the name of their band because few people don't like the idea. I yeah. mean, they just can't do that. And I commend Danny Shirley for standing up to that. And uh, I really love that band. Yeah. James said that poor Escalade's got to have half a million miles on it by now. <laughs> yeah, it does, man. I'm, I'm looking to trade it in, but I. Uh, in case you ain't noticed, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I ain't got much money coming in, so I'm trying to push it as far as I can. But yeah, it's got quite a few miles on it. It's been around the country a few times. It's got some stories to tell, doesn't it? It does. It, man, you got to realize, it's the fourth vehicle I've maxed out the miles on, and this is going to be the hardest one to let go. I mean, I've had so many memories in that escalation. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been like my chariot, man. I, mean, I feel bad trying to get rid of it, but it's, been, it's coming to that. You know, I just blew a spark plug the other day on my way to a show on the last little run I did. And we had to put a helicoil in it. And it's been running okay, but I'm still, you know, butt-puckering going down the road. <laughs> yeah. wondering if it's going to blow up again on me. So, Tanya Kennedy asked, Way, are you in your house now? Yes, I am. I'm sitting here with my family. Here's my family over there. Say why. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am in my house. And there's my Christmas tree. I got. I thought I bought one Christmas tree. I opened up the box and there was two of them in there. There you go. And then we got our stockings up there, and all my curtains up, and all that good stuff. But yes, I am. I'm in my house finally. I've been working on this house all year. We got it painted. We got it all good. Got carpet in. Got floor in. Got heat. And we got a foot of snow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, heat's important with all that snow yeah it is very important man so yeah that's uh, that's taking up quite a bit of your pandemic time hasn't it yeah it has it's given me a lot of time to build a fantastic home for my family 
for me to come home to. I never, I never really had a home. You know what I mean? I grew up with my, my mom. She rented. You know what I mean? We moved from house to house to house. You know, what I mean? and I've never really had a home of my own. And when I got out of rehab, I had a bunch of money piled up, and I just went and purchased a fixer upper and gutted it. And we've been busting our butts on it for like all year. Yeah. Thank, thanks to Ed Carolis and a bunch of other good friends of mine, uh, we've been able to do a really good job on this house, and I'm very happy. Best Christmas gift I could ever ask for was all the help I've gotten on this house, man. Tammy Kennedy, she helped me paint this house, and uh, I just got a lot of good friends. I got a lot of good support system built, and I'm happy for once in my life. I got a lot of good people in my life, good kids, good wife, good everything, man. I love it, man. I'm, I'm so excited for you. It's it's awesome. I love to see that smile on your face. Me too, man. If, if folks want to follow your career, want want to know more about what's going on with you here in the, in the new year, want to download your music, where can they go to do all that? Just about anywhere. I mean, you can go to iTunes. You can go to Pandora. You can go to uh, Facebook, of course. And you can get my schedule from Facebook. Uh, I have a a Spotify. Um, just about anywhere, anywhere you can get music, I'll be there. You know what I mean? But if you want to get my my schedule for the year? Just go to my Facebook page and hit the about, and then go to the events because they changed it all up. It used to be you go to Facebook and the events was on that bar, but now you got to push the about for the events to come up. So if you do that, my whole schedule comes up. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing any one of y'all at any one of our shows, man. We've been having pretty good shows. As many as we've had this year, you know, but yeah, you know, yeah, make sure you get to those shows, get up front and dance, have some fun. Definitely, definitely. I know everybody's gonna be itching to have some fun once we can finally get out and, and start enjoying life again. Yeah, I'm hoping it's sooner than later, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do if I have to go get a real job. <laughs> I'm like, ah, got this thing hammer for a living. Here's hoping that won't have to happen, man, because I know God has uniquely blessed you with some talents to to entertain people, man, and, and to make some meaningful music. So I hope we can get back to that, man. And again, you, you're always welcome back here anytime to share that. And uh, we'll definitely keep in touch on it. Let me let me iterate a little bit. When I say I go get a real job, that don't mean that this ain't a real job. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but there's a lot of fun in it, a lot of reward in it. And uh, I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful I'm able to do what I do, and I just hope I can keep doing it. Yeah. What I mean by real job is having to get up 5 a.m., go yeah. out there and hammer all damn day long, and then come home. Yeah. And be, you know, grouchy. I don't want to be grouchy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think all those people sitting on the other side of the room would probably agree with that. Yeah, they do. No doubt. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Wade, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here tonight on Fast Line Fast Track. And thanks for always supporting what, what we're doing here. And, uh, man, man, again, come back anytime you want to share new music. You bet, brother, man. I love what you do, man. I thank you for having let me be a part of it. Yeah, man. I tell you what, two, two years under our belt now here we, we, we've got uh, – uh, we, we've come a long way. This will be episode number 87 of this deal. And you, you were the very first one, and, and that meant the world to me, uh, getting to spend a little time there at the – the legendary Blue Note in Harrison, Ohio. Yeah, that was a great time, man. As a matter of fact, that's when we was that when we opened for David Allen Coe. Yeah, yep, it sure was. 
We rocked that place. <laughs> oh, that, was a, that was a wild night, man. And for anybody that doesn't know the Blue Note in Harrison, Ohio, and what a place. Uh, the old gravel parking lot, and you get in there, and they have all these rooms together. And, uh, man, they had about 4,000 people smashed into that room that night, and it was wild. Yeah, it was a great night, man. I had a good time. And, uh, you know, we had to wait for for David Allen Coe to come in. He lives just down the road from there, but he, he made a fashionably late entrance that night. And, uh, <laughs> I snuck in the side door, banged out his set, and snuck back out the side door and went home. Yes, sir. Yes, he did. It was a great night, though, man. I had a good time with a lot of good people. He's been another one that's been, uh, you know, a big supporter of your career and helped you get things off the ground, wasn't he? He's been there. We've done a lot, man. He's had more to do with my career than I think he even knows. My uh -huh. very first show ever was a David Allen Cole benefit concert in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. That's the very first show I ever played. And then uh, I've opened for him quite a few times since then. And uh, we've had very few words spoke to each other, yeah. but we both have mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for David Allen Cole. Plus, I married his granddaughter, so I'm happy about that, too. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, man, I'm going to let you get get back to your night here. And again, thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in touch. I hope you guys have a blessed new year. And uh, man, I love you, brother. Love you too, brother. And I want to thank you for spending time with us this week. And I want to wish you all the best in the new year. And thank you so much for making this an incredible year of growth for Fastline Fast Track. This week, we celebrate our second anniversary and we're just getting started. And I want to thank you for all the shares, all the likes, all the social media love, and for spreading the word about Fastline Fast Track. And I hope you'll continue to do that so we can reach this country from coast to coast with the best in agriculture and true traditional country music. We also want I want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. So stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things on farmers' minds, do you need snow removal equipment, maybe a new tractor or a new planter? If so, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is still being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country and don't forget to subscribe to the fast line fast track podcast on apple Podcasts, google podcasts spotify stitcher TuneIn, iHeartRadio, amazon music deezer audible and radio.com and be sure to hit us up on all those socials facebook twitter instagram linkedin and youtube well it's time for us to get on out of here so until next time it's brent adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.